0: We need Thee. We need Thy presence. We need Thy infilling. We're so often weak and discouraged, and so we need a measure of Thy peace and Thy calm to descend upon us, and we need the presence of Thy Holy Spirit to minister to our inward needs. Be with us now as we would open Thy word together. Bless those that could not gather with us this afternoon hour. And please also encourage, as we heard this morning already, those who have become slack, that they would return unto thee. Be with us now as we divide thy word, and be with all those who are going through especially uh, great trials of their faith and health, other situations that are known to thee, dear Lord. Bless them and be with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We heard a very convicting sermon this morning from God's Word, and uh, as the Lord has been working through things in my own life uh, with uh, degrees of uncertainty as well, um, I've also been stretched and challenged in my own walk, and the last time I was in this pulpit, I preached from the first half of the sixth chapter of Matthew. I'd like to conclude with the second half. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I read right to the end of the chapter. this chapter is split into small sections, sayings of Jesus, that some are self-contained, some are are connected, but arranged in such a way that if we would consider them, I think it would really change the way that we live. Because they are so counterculture so counter human nature. In fact, I would venture to say that they're impossible to live without the Spirit of God. The section that we've read begins with, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. We learn from this verse a very clear and ringing truth any earthly treasure that we amass here will provide no lasting peace or satisfaction to us. There's always the prospect of loss. In the States, not that long ago, there was a mini banking crisis. A number of banks were, became insolvent based on a run on the banks. And I read a short series of tweets from an executive who had two startup companies it was with the Silicon Valley Bank. some of you may have heard of it he had as it were all his eggs in one basket. the funds and the money of the two companies were with the bank his own personal funds as well as his mortgage was also with the bank. He was a good customer worth a lot of money and he describes in a series of tweets what it was like to go through that banking run. To realize what was going on, and in the middle of the meeting, texting people to say, get our money out of there right now, get them transferred, I don't care how you do it, get it transferred over to a safe institution. And worrying about his own finances and his own mortgage, what would happen with that. And then there was the period of simply not knowing. Some of the funds for one of the, one of the business ventures had fully transferred, they made it out. The other one was stuck in limbo. His personal finances he didn't know if he could access. And he talks about going home to his wife and children and just wanting to kind of tune out everything and just focus on what's important, not knowing what would happen. That morning, everything seemed fine, secure, optimistic even. But how quickly it changed. In a world of digital money, it's not unimaginable that at some point a government that doesn't like your behavior or outlook on life could simply turn off your ability to access funds. I don't say that to be scary, it's just simply a reality of the digital world in which we live. I think we all know that. It's not so hard anymore to imagine what it must be like when it says, whoever does not have that mark can neither buy nor sell. It's pretty conceivable how that could happen. But verse 20 provides the antidote. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Here are riches that, when you lay on your deathbed, will provide a degree of calm and peace that worldly riches never could. Supposedly the last words of Queen Elizabeth I, arguably perhaps the greatest monarch of the British Empire, she was the one who presided over England transitioning from a, uh, a small, mercantile nation to becoming a world superpower in her lifetime alone. A woman who was unheard of in that generation. Amazing accomplishments, wealthy beyond belief. And on her deathbed, she said, all my gold, all that I possess for a moment of time. She would grad- gladly trade whatever she had amassed just for a little bit more time. But the saints of the Lord, though they may be penniless in this world, can with a clear conscience and a happy heart leave this world. Forgive me if I get a bit emotional. I had an emotional conversation with someone in Mansfield who lost a dear one a number of years ago, her life's companion. I would say perhaps one of the finest marriages I know of in our church circles. And she told me a few intimate little details of that brother's passing. And we shed some tears together as she shared some of the struggles and difficulties she has as she continues to go on alone. But he could go smiling. Smiling not because he had amassed much on this world. His LinkedIn profile wouldn't look very impressive. But smiling because he had treasure waiting for him in heaven. That's how I want to go. Because these world's riches I can't take with me. None of it goes with us on to that land. In fact, in that last day of our life, those riches and treasures, I heard a story from Brother George Friend. He related in a sermon once about this man who had made a lot of money and now was in the last season of his life, didn't know how much longer he had, and his big concern was how this money was going to be properly dispersed when he was gone. Even in the age where you think, well, you should be able to enjoy it now, enjoy the the fruit of your labor and and the wealth that you've amassed, it still caused worry and pain for him as he thought how this is going to be spread among a family, some members of which were not particularly deserving. Verse 22 and 23 give us a good, clear picture of what the Lord really intends. It says, the light of the body is the eye. Now, you can look at these words and pull them apart, but I take from it this general theme. Your outlook and how you view things will either bless or poison your life. If you run after wealth and fame, and it's interesting, you know, even reading posts on on, on LinkedIn and other places, people are starting to realize that corporate accomplishments and wealth are not everything. There was one comment I read which was thought-provoking, it says, 20 years from now, the only one that will remember that you worked extra late are your children. Kind of smarts. Not that I work a whole lot of extra hours, but perspective. Perspective. What would you trade? How much money would you trade to get back those relationships when they're gone? The strange children, difficult situations. The world's full of sad stories. How you view things is so important. Why? Because it affects your heart. If you view it wrong, your whole heart, your whole inside is going to be dark. Do you want that? What comes from a life like that? You may be wealthier than the next guy. But when it really matters, what will you have to show for it? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is simply worldly riches. You know, I never thought I was particularly materialistic. I don't have a fancy lifestyle. I don't have a particularly fancy house. Don't drive fancy cars. Don't even want to drive fancy cars. Don't go on exotic vacations. Yeah, I'm not, I don't serve mammon. I'm not about that. But the prospect of having my livelihood removed is something that terrifies me, and I have to be honest. The the prospect of loss, and then I think, well, what am I really trusting in? Who am I really serving? Am I trying to serve both? The next verse says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Now that doesn't mean don't even consider it. Christ clarifies, he says, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? It's not that we're not to look ahead, or as some do, to live for pleasure and hedonistically simply looking for the next great thrill regardless of the cost and They're happy to burn through money. They're not taking thought for the morrow. That's not what the scripture is teaching here at all It's not about He who dies with the most toys wins as I remember bumper sticker was years ago when I was a kid And it's not that we shouldn't consider But where do we put our trust? I always trusted I'd be, willing, I'd be able to uh, provide for my family, that there would be enough for the children and to maintain the lifestyle that we had, and now I'm not so sure, and I don't know what that will mean. But I still wish to trust God. In spite of what difficulties may come, I want to trust Him because I want to lay up treasure in heaven, not on this earth. He gives us examples. Behold the fowls of the air. This morning I saw something, the kids noticed it, that I've never seen before in this part of the world. For the first time I saw a majestic bald eagle floating above our house. I thought, wow, I've never seen one here. You know, they were on the edge of extinction in the 70s. But obviously they're being restored now to ranges perhaps they formerly inhabited. Such a majestic bird floating effortlessly, effortlessly over the landscape. But have you ever seen a bird of prey on the ground? Awkward, ungainly, not very mobile. But in its element, wow breathtaking elegance and simplicity, a design that only God could make to watch them just wheel and soar. The Christian who's tied to this earth is like that eagle on the ground. Out of his element. Not doing what he's suited for. The eagle it seems only temporarily purchases, makes, makes purchase on a, on a tree or on the ground and then he's off again. And I think that's the way we're to live as well. Above the things in this world, knowing that we, we can carry nothing from this world with us and that we're made for a different element. The crows, on the other hand, they seem pretty comfortable on the ground. I see them sometimes when I'm on my way to work. I take back country roads and sometimes there's some roadkill at the side and there's a group of them there and they're pretty fearless. They don't even move much when the car goes by. They know what's dangerous and what's not. Pecking away at that carcass. And one day, they themselves perhaps being eaten in turn. Not much different. But our Heavenly Father has grander plans for us. We're made for more than this. I don't have any profound thoughts for you this afternoon. Just little musings and, and moments from my own life. And perhaps, you know, I feel guilty actually when I consider my own position because I know there's those even in this church that have gone through way worse than I have. When I think back to the, what my forefathers went through in Europe and so on, so much more difficult. Yet I guess because I've lived a soft life, this seems pressing to me now. And I hope at some point in the future to be able to look back on all of this and say God had a plan all along and he was leading me through this. There was a, there was a quote again of Tozer's that I read recently and I, it's hard to swallow but I think it's true. He says, who God will richly bless he must first deeply hurt seems hard to take. How could it be? But then we look at his son. Then we look at the great saints of God. Jacob, Abraham, others that have paid a high price for following the Lord and yet in the end that was the preparation necessary for God to bless them. And I don't know what that blessing will look like, and I'm not even saying that he's hurt me deeply. But the principle is one, I think, that we do well to remember. It's better to have ill from the hand of God, as David said, than to experience what looks like blessing that he had no part of. I know many of you are going through difficulties. I know many of you have struggles of your own, personal, financial, economic, whatever they may be. And I know that many of them are much worse than mine. But I think we can all draw comfort from the words of Christ here and the things that he says to us. If he takes care, Right now, this time of year it's easy to think about the lilies and to see the beauty of, of of nature as it springs forth. If he does that every season without the help and regard of man, if he could work in such miraculous ways in the past, surely he can do things today. His arm is not shortened. But am I ready for the way that he may work with me? Or do I have another idea? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. The world's no stranger to difficulty and privation. Many go through great trials. I just read in our local paper a beautiful small family. Three young girls, lovely wife, strong and handsome father but he has an inoperable brain tumor. And the community rallied around him and put a new roof on his, on his house. They were providing some food for him and his family as well. And his comment or from his wife was, he's trying to spend as much time as he can right now with his daughters. He just finished chemo, he's not able to work right now, but he's doing his best to spend time with his daughters to make memories because he knows he will soon be gone. What would we do if we knew we were soon going to be gone? How would we live? If you got a diagnosis like that, that your life would be over soon, what would you do differently? How would you live? Would you worry about retirement? Not everyone gets there. I know of one man had it all together, You know, he was worth over eight figures. Gave advice and taught classes on investing to people. Brain tumor. Dead in a matter of less than a year. And then all of those shrewd investments, like Solomon said, the same thing that happens to the wise man happens to the fool and left for others. I don't wanna have that regret. I do pray and trust that the Lord will somehow provide for me and my family and whatever may happen in the days and months to come. I don't know what that will look like. I'll have to wait on him. I'm gonna try my best to do whatever I can with what he's given me. I'm not going to just throw it all on God as it were and go whistling past the graveyard as if he's gonna be some genie in the bottle that's gonna solve my problems for me. He expects us to work. Gideon had to go with his men down to the river. Others had to step out in faith. The priests had to get the hem of their garment wet by stepping into the Jordan. But the perspective, how we look at things is so important. It will either make us or ruin us eternally you see, money and wealth here is only a test. God doesn't really need it. It's a test of us. Because one day, the only thing we will have is God. And that prospect will either be the greatest comfort or the greatest terror you will ever know. The final verse the last two verses say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, shall be added unto you. Now that sounds a bit like, I remember hearing once a story, and allow me to just relate this, there was a young man who had a wealthy father, and he wanted a car for his 16th birthday. He kept bugging his dad for a car, or high school graduation, sorry, it was high school graduation. And on the day of his graduation, his father handed him a package, wrapped up, paper, ribbon. Oh, what's this? It's open it sign. And he opened the package, and inside the package was a Bible. And the way that I heard the story, or at least the way I remembered it, was the young man was so disappointed with what his father had given him that he left the Bible with his father and never saw him again. And it was years later, after his father had passed away and he was going through his effects that he left behind, he found that same Bible. And for the first time, he opened it. And he noticed that there was a bookmark in the Bible, and it was right in this chapter, these verses. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that bookmark was actually a personal check to the local dealership for the cost of a car. His father was trying to show him a greater truth, and he missed it. I don't know if the story is true or not. I just remember hearing it once in a sermon. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you seek God, you're going to get everything you want. There's people that have taken that tack with this verse as well, and that's wrong. Whatever else you need will be added to you. But that doesn't mean whatever you want will be added to you if you seek God first. But seeking God first, you will find a treasure you can never lose. You see, if you do it the other way around, if you seek the things of the world first, you are guaranteed To lose them. One of the things I drive past on the way to work is one little graveyard that's up on a small hill. Last fall, I think it was last fall, I stopped there just to take a look. And there are the thin, I think, limestone headstones, maybe only about two inches thick. Some broken in half, some lying on their backs a few standing at crazy angles, many of them barely decipherable, with the records of the first settlers who came to that area, and had homesteads and farms in that area. Gone now. Their descendants probably not even in the same area anymore, I don't know. But the only markers of a life of toil in that part of the world If you seek first the things of this world, they will one day be taken from your dead fingers. But for one who seeks first the kingdom of God, he or she has treasure in heaven. May God what was add what whatever was lacking to these few poor words. And would a brother please select to him? We've heard a lot from God's word today, both this morning I think and this afternoon. Challenging words. Words that be difficult to receive if we're carnally minded, and that was Paul's admonition to the Corinthians as well. So you can't receive this; you're carnally minded. Let that not be true of us. I know, as I've been going through this as well, and the stresses that accomplish uh, accompany it too. You know, there's there's these there's anxiety, but there's also guilt. I think, really, who am I trusting in? Do I really believe the words of Christ? Am I really willing to follow? I'm embarrassed sometimes that the faith of my wife and children is greater than mine. They seem to be less concerned than I am. And I realize that Christ's commands not to worry, not to be anxious, are not suggestions. They're not just a something polite to say. You know, sometimes it's hard to uh, accept people say things like, it'll all work out in the end. You know, well, yeah, it's working out okay for you right now, but right now it doesn't look so great to me. Those kind of truisms maybe are, you know, we know it's true, but I often have to say with the the man who had the son, who was a demoniac, said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Walking with Christ is not a one-time decision. You don't simply commit to follow him, and then your path is gonna be a a path of roses. Everything's gonna work out beautifully. You'll find a good job, you'll find a nice girl or guy to settle down with. Everything will just go swimmingly. There's no guarantees. Look at the early church. Look at the apostles, the ones who followed Christ first. Of the 11 that were faithful, 10 of them suffered a martyr's death. That doesn't look like how some would want to apply a seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. But the treasure in heaven, the treasure in heaven, that's something that you can hold on to. Each deposit made is secure. How much effort do we put? How much worry and concern do we put into banking there versus here? Do we feel good watching a bank balance grow or investments grow? Do we feel good when we think, well, I bought my house at this amount and I could sell it at this amount? Wow. I have to confess freely to all of you, there was a time in my life where I felt pretty smug about some of the decisions that I'd made. It looked like they were great. Looked like I was ahead of the curve. Now, not quite so much. But I am realizing, too, that in that pride and that arrogance was a lack of trust in God. And now as God maybe looks like it's gonna Take away some of these things from me it's an opportunity for me now to decide, to discover what i'm really trusting may we all learn to trust him more i don't wish for people to go through difficult things in this in this life that's not the point god doesn't delight in our suffering but when he wounds us it's for our good because if he didn't we would hurt ourselves far more so for now i'm trusting and i hope in maybe the days, months, years to come, if the Lord tarries, to be able to say, when I look back now with the hymn writer who said, blessed hast thou planned my way. Don't know what that'll look like, but I trust and pray that the Lord will provide as he has for others. And may he continue to provide for each one who's gathered here this afternoon. This concludes our service, and may God bless our time together here. Amen.